Hello, I'm Ken Sada. I'm Josh Polanco. And I am Brandon Betts. And this is the Slate Trade Uncovered. The Amistad Rebellion in 1839 is considered one of the greatest stories of slave rebellion in the history of Atlantic slavery. The Amistad Rebellion has been in groundbreaking films such as The Amistad in 1997 featuring A-list actors like Morgan Freeman, Matthew McConaughey, and Anthony Hopkins. However, there's way more to the story of The Amistad Rebellion than most books and movies have shown. So, do you think you know everything about that? about the Amistad Rebellion. Now we'll bring in my two co-speakers and introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Josh Kolaska, and I'm a junior at Randolph College, and my major is history with a minor in American culture studies. Hi, my name is Brandon Betts. I am a junior at Randolph College as well, and I am a sports and exercise study major. Thank you for joining me today. First, I wanted to see how much knowledge you have, or you all have, before you all studied about the events that occurred before that made the Amistad Rebellion so impactful, as well as some of the dynamics of slave trade or slave ships at the time. Brandon, how about you go first? I knew about the Amistad Rebellion beforehand, but that was the story before going into that and learning about I My situation is similar to Brandon's. I did not know too much about the little details of the rebellion. I am glad that I learned more about the topic, though, because it has helped me learn about this and more about slave rebellions. It's great that both of you have learned a lot about the dynamics of the slave ships and some of the events that have made the Amazon Rebellion even more impactful. We'll start off by our main discussion about one of the most, one of these impactful events, the Zong Massacre. The Zong Massacre was a horrible event in the history of slavery, to say at least. In 1781, a British slave ship called the Zong was heading towards Jamaica when illness was ravaging through the ship. More than 60 slaves were already killed and more were on the verge of death due to the illness. To make, to make matters, matters worse, the Zong passed by assassination of Jamaica. Resources had almost ran out and could not sustain everyone on the boat. The captain of the ship made the horrific decision and threw slaves overboard where they drowned. The captain of the Zong later appealed to receive insurance for the slaves killed that day. Evidence is revealed that rainfall had restocked some of the ship's water supply. In the end, the captain did not did receive his insurance for those lost lives. This, outra- this outraged people because the captain took innocent lives to receive money because he was the one who passed Jamaica. The captain later claimed uh, later that there were no resources while the water was just replenished. And he, and he allowed slaves on the ship that were sick against the surgeon's advice. We'll get to the surgeons later. So now, so now they all learned. Now they all have heard the story. Do either of you have any thoughts? When I heard this, heard the story, I was so disturbed. The fact that the cap, captain threw people overboard to die for money is horrible. 
And I am deeply sad and he got insurance too. This was a horrible situation. It seemed that every bad thing that happened on the boat was the captain's fault. The passing of Jamaica, the lack of resources, and the following of the ship. And worst of all, all throwing and worst of all, throwing people overboard. It really, it really was horrible. horrible. I'd like, I'd to, like move to move on to key factors that play a part in the death of not just slaves on the zone, but but on other slave ships, the surgeons. What I know is that the surgeons were these people on the coast where slaves were loaded and unloaded onto ships. They would inspect every slave, even to the point that it was humiliating for the slave. They would check if a slave was able to be so based on their strength, age, and other factors, as well as if they had a disease that could infect and kill people on a slave ship. To come up with what Brandon said, the surgeon not being able to notice that one of the slaves that got on the song was sick is horrible. It could have also been the captain's fault for not listening to the surgeon. The surgeon probably led to the infection of all the slaves in the first place. I think the way the ships were being packed led to the spread of disease as quickly as it did. People were so cramped it was hard to even move. Not to mention that the slaves were already physically exhausted. A large percentage of the slaves came from the interior parts of Africa and had to march hundreds of miles to get to the coast. This could be part of the reason the disease that hit them was so devastating. That's a great point. Some slaves were at war as well before they were sold as prisoners. So they could be exhausted from war and then sent on a growing march. To add another point, slaves were also collected from different ports of Africa and then collected in select ports. So, so it could be a case where disease was spread from different places and slaves couldn't tolerate it because there was no immunity. The same situation could be said about English slave traders and the disease they bring. That's very true. It's like the Zong massacre was an open door for people to see all the horrible things going on in the slave trade. People started to see how cruel the march was to the coast was. How how inhumane the packing of the, of the slips was. And because of what happened to the song, people began to realize how the desire for money was horrible. This part of one of the silver linings of the Zong massacre. In 1807, England abolished the slave trade, and France had a little part in it, but they avoided abolished slavery later. Not to, Not to mention that it enlightened people to a point where people fought hard for the abolishment of the slave trade. Though a lot of people in power in countries like France and England having consistent and even writing things and creating meetings depicting the horrors of massacre. That's a very good point. One thing that comes to mind is the painting The Slave Ship by J.M.W. Turner. Turner shot off his painting in an anti-slavery convention in London in 1840. This, this painting truly shows the horrors of the Zong massacre and can, really, it can only really make people feel horrible about what is this humans have done in history. I'm going to go through a, a brief explanation of the painting for our listeners. The painting shows a slave ship engaging a large wave hitting in front of the ship. The waves in the water are rough and uncontrolling. 
It was a sunset, was a sunset in the, the background, background of the sky was filled with orange and red colors from the sun. These red and orange colors shine on the rough seas, revealing hundreds of slaves in the water. The only thing you can see of these slaves are their hands reaching for help, but none to come. Their arms still had these very shackles that held them that they had holding them on the ship. Multiple seagulls surrounded the drowning slaves below them. This painting helped people understand and visualize how horrible the Zal massacre was. What do y'all think? The painting really shows how bad the events was. I think Turner really helped people understand what happened when he made it. I agree. It helped push someone, someone who didn't understand how bad the situation was. Those are both pretty, really great points. And for the picture in general, it was amazing. The way Turner made the sunset and how he gleamed off the raging seas was really cool. The Zon Massacre really started to push the abolishment of the slave trade in the spotlight at the time. It really made Zonestad Rebellion even more impactful because it was kind of the climax of the horrors of slavery. The Zon Massacre started to turn the wheels of the abolishment of the slave trade and made the Amistad Rebellion have the feel of needed retaliation. So now that we have talked about the Zong Rebellion, and its impact, and its impact it had on the slave trade at the time. How about we talk about the dynamics on the slave trade, on the slave ship, and the prior steps before slave rebellions? The dynamics of these slave ships were mostly similar, with the crew on boarding, on board being outnumbered by, by the slaves eight to one, which means riots or outbreaks weren't an uncommon experience. Every one of the ten ships would experience every one out of ten ships would experience some kind of outbreak with at least every ship experiencing some kind of conspiracy of threat. This is good this isn't good for any voyage with the idea of the Africans expiring to revolt against you and on top of that you are already limited in numbers on the ship compared to the African slaves. So instead of being reactive and waiting to be outnumbered and attacked, the captain look, would look to hire or enlist some of the slaves to be guardians during the voyages. Being a guardian didn't excuse the fact that you were a slave, but did give you select freedoms. As African guardians, you would think that if you help keep your own people in check, it would help you from gaining, it will help you gaining your complete friend. But it didn't work like that. Guardians only had a couple of restrictions lifted in their favor, but they only really could extend so far. They were the extra hands and ears for the captain and the crew. The captain basically told them that, that if there were any ideas or concerns of a revolt, that they would have to report any whisper of these ideas to him. Also, they helped with tasks around the ship, maintaining the ship and helping it keep it on course to protect it from attacks. In 1799 and 1800, when Captain Crow on board the Will, he trained some slaves on the ship to operate the artillery, praising their courageous experience when they encountered a French vessel. Why were some of the slaves so willing to help control their fellow compatriots and help them in confinement? 
and help keep them in confinement. With a cast of African guardians helping protect the captain and his crew over helping those also intended to be sold with accounts of this coming from Captain Phillips' 1693 to 1694 voyage of the Hannibal. During Captain Phillips' years of calling by at least 30 to 40 slaves on the Gold Coast just for the purpose of helping to call out the cannibal link or scheming beyond devised among slaves on board. That guardian guardians on Captain Phillips' ship were also given a badge or nine tails that signified their role as guardians. Some added bonuses that they would that they would get as guardians might be extra rations of food or water, and also not given to bear the pain of wearing the iron shackles once they disappeared from view. Even though they were given such freedoms, they were still part of the slave cargo. In 1750, there was a slave captain called John Newton, who captained the Duke of Argyle. According to the account of the ship. The slaves supplied each other with tools to help them get out their chains. About 20 of the slaves had gotten free before Noon had realized it and caused any trouble or damage. About aboard the Clare Galley, some of the Africans aboard made themselves master of gunpowder and fire, forcing the crew to abandon to bring the voyage to a premature end in South Carolina. After Guardians were in a unique position that they could have been promoted for the springboard to the springboard for subvision aboard ships. Basically, the ships will start to establish a power ranking system that would induce the idea of the Guardians becoming rebel leaders and having their own ships. Using the power to help start rebellions and overturn ships didn't really happen involving the Guardians. From the 383 revolts compiled from data, none of them were started by any of the Guardians. Instead, the Guardians were steadfast in their loyalty to being Guardians. So instead of helping the other slaves on the ship, they instead helped the captains, feeding exactly into what the traders believed would happen. Since the Guardians had a small advantage from their status, instead of risking it all, they chose to protect it. Why would someone be comfortable with keeping the, keeping oneself and their people in bondage? But Elchis had a theory about this. He said that they mix ethnic groups, pairing guardian from one region of Africa on a ship with some from a different region, saying that these political differences were only important to the Europeans, so they were so they since they were important to the Africans. Altus gives an example of the dynamics in the Gold Coast had tension with the bright, the bright being. This probably explains why Captain Phillips brought their slaves from the Gold Coast exclusive to be his guardians. I come from the Royal African Company from 1679 to 1705. I come for 24 voyages with African guards. The guards with these guards on the voyages coming from Gold Coast and the slaves on these voyages coming from Arda or Wider, sounds in present day being. Believing this axiomatic relationship didn't play some kind of role in how African guardians work. It could be why we didn't see 
that many guardians helping the captives evade their captors and clean the ships. This political division probably helps shed better light on why guardians didn't help in the rebellion. Winston McGowan believed that the reason for revolts and rebellions by the Africans was their belief that a horrible fate awaited them across the Atlantic. With some of those being enslaved, having fears of being eaten by the Europeans, and having their fears grow when migrants didn't return. But others have said that the rebellions were a result of the Africans' unwillingness and denial of the Europeans believing they had the right to just take them into slavery. James Jamestown, who traded at Isle de Los and Cape Mount in 1760, suggested the only reason the Africans taken captive revolted was that they rejected the right of the Europeans to enslave them and carry them away from their own country and family. Another example was in 1721. William Snellgrave reported that a slave revolt happened on the London ship Henry. Claiming the Africans aboard said that their captives were rogues, taking them away from their own country, and they were resolved to regain their liberty if they possibly could. The only encounter information about these revolts comes from European shipping records. Most of the sources came from the French vessels of their slaving voyages, and it's a much bigger picture of the larger voyages, not so much the Atlantic slave trade. There were at least 485 acts of violence by Africans against slave ships and their crews. That is accounted for. But based on the evidence, about only 10% of ships experienced a revolt or various activity. There's 22 cases that they have found that they were planned rather than actual rebellion, what, which meant it was possible, a high possibility of occurring, but didn't actually happen. William Barry, master of the dispatch, in 1725 would have iron shackles on his slaves down and encased them in his net in fear that they might jump overboard to attempt to commit suicide. Since the Africans bought, since the Africans overbrought fight and opera were known for committing suicide, he wasn't the only one that would encase his slaves. Some owners resulted to other methods in deterring revolts or slaves escaping from this ship by investing in firearms, swivel guns, and extra crew to help supervise the slaves. Also, owners having to remind shipmaster to control and refraining from aggravated, aggravated behaviors that would discipline and vigilance amongst under their command. Although the slaves, only about one in ten voyages experience a revolt, but from these revolts, still a large number of original captives survive. Only about 25 slaves were ever killed during a revolt, or about 10% when an uprising occurred. These numbers don't account for the injuries or market value change after a revolt has occurred. Death of slaves from revolts was just a fairly modest cause to that of slave death from other calls. In the case of Catherine in 1731, there had been a small boxing bout between some slaves and a couple. And the couple had been killed and a few had been injured. We would be remiss if we did not speak about one of the most famous examples of the slave rebellion that took place in July 1839. Some listeners may be aware of the Amistad Rebellion after viewing Steven Spielberg's 1997 film titled Amistad. 
While the film performed well at the box office with star-filled cast names like Morgan Freeman, Matthew McConaughey, and Anthony Hopkins, the film has received some criticism from historians like Eric Foner of Columbia University in an article titled The Amistad, Patients Back in Film. Boner stated, despite the filmmaker's orgy of self-congratulations for rescuing black heroes from oblivion, the main characters on the Amistad are white, not black. The plot pivots on lawyer Roger Baldwin's dawning realization that the case he is defending involves human beings, not just property rights, and on the transformation of John Quincy Adams, who initially refuses to assist the captives, but eventually persuades the Supreme Court to order their return to Africa. Close quote. It may be unreasonable for Hollywood directors to get every single historical detail correct in their films, but these are significant issues to unpack, especially in a motion picture that's primarily focused on the hero, heroic rebels on the La Amistad schooner. Let's take a closer look at some of those heroes. Brandon effectively presented the onboard dynamics of slave ship just a few minutes ago. And you, the listener, should understand why revolts were so likely in the transatlantic slave trade, especially towards the end. According to the historian and activist Marcus Redeker in a journal article titled The African Origins of the Amistad Rebellion, quote, such risings are not uncommon, occurring on as many as one slaving voyage out of ten over the three and a half centuries of gruesome trade in humans, even though slave ships were designed to make this uprising close quote. The challenges presented to the captives of the Amistad did not impede on the rebellion. It strengthened the resolve. When a horrible when a mass of slaves, slaves seemed to be a very likely scenario, the captives were more composed than militaristic experts of the all-male Aro Society of Sierra Leone. They were led by Joseph Kunique to fight back against Captain Raymond Ferrer, Jose Ruiz, and Pedro Montes. With crowded conditions combined with abuse from the crew towards the captives, it was time to act. There were even rumors and threats of cannibalism by the crew towards the captives. Tension reached to a boiling point, and the rebellion began after the choice was made to die fighting for life, close quote, instead of being slaughtered for cannibals, close quote. When the darkness fell on the ship in the wee hours in the morning, it was time to act. Led by Kunik and Gabra. The core of the rebels were strong and united, especially because of the shared force of the Havana Barracoons. With 49 of the slave men being blacksmiths, it was easy for them to pick up and or break their locks. The captives were easy, had easy access to weaponry like tools, pants, spikes, sticks, and anything else they could find on the deck of the ship. Redeker stated, quote, the only sounds to be heard in the damp night air above the rolling sea and the creaking of the thuds of wood, flesh, and bone. Close quote. The European slave traders were ill-prepared for such an organized and efficient rebellion. The collective efforts of Clinique and his fellow Africans were underestimated by Ferrer, Ruse, and Montes. Ferrer would die and for most of it the crew, but Ruse and Montes somehow survived. Now, before discussing the lasting effects of the Amistad Rebellion on abolition, I want to focus on what the Poro Society and Mindy of Sierra Leone did for the men and women to prepare for rebellion. By the time the Amistad Rebellion occurred in 1839, 
slave revolts were becoming less common, and some, if not most, were unsuccessful in gaining freedom for all captives. According to data found in a journal article titled Shipboard Revolts, African Authority and the Atlantic Slave Trade by the notable historian David Richardson, 1.8% of all slave revolts between 1651 through 1867 occurred between 1826 and 1867. However, Richardson's data also includes interesting information specific to Sierra Leone. 9.3% of all slave ships on slave revolts on ships leaving Africa originated in Sierra Leone, while 12.3% of all violent incidents have ties to Sierra Leone. While the slave revolt percentage is lower than when compared to areas like Singambia, the Gold Coast, the Brighter Bend, and West Central Africa, the violent conflict percentage is higher than most areas of origin all of Africa. European slave traders sought to avoid taking a high number of captives from Singambia, Sierra Leone, and the windward coast of the stereotypes and fears of rebellion led to the belief that some ethnic groups were more prone to instances of rebellion. Even though these coastal areas of Africa were closer to destinations in the Americas than other parts of the continent, fear of insurrections was very real among slave herbs. Members of the Mende and Poro Society of Sierra Leone were incredibly advanced and many were trained warriors. Former exhibit at Yale University's Peabody Museum of Natural History titled The African Roots of the Amistad Rebellion, Mass of the Sacred Bush, amplified their stories. According to Professor Frank Cole, who curated the exhibit, quote, most of the Amistad captives were men from Sierra Leone and Liberia and West Africa. Today, the men, the most numerous cultural groups in Sierra Leone, number over 1.5 million people with 60 independent chiefdoms. Among the men, primarily rice farmers living in small rural villages, all women became social beings by means of initiation to the Sunday or Bondo. Society. Society. Men belong to the powerful host of society. society. The, traditions the traditions and values learned in these societies were crucial for the success of the rebellion of the Lama The rebels, the rebels would defeat their white captors, including Captain Ferrer, and inspire abolitionists around the world, just as the uprisings in the Caribbean had when Lamastad arrived in a port near Long Island, New York, the stage was set for a dramatic process and Chief Justice Roger B. Taney's United States Supreme Court. Though slavery remained a legal institution in the United States until 1863 with President Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, the slave trade had been outlawed by the U.S. and the British in 1807. Lower courts held that the rebels would be free, but would be forced to return to Africa at the expense of the government. The Supreme Court was not in agreement with the latter. In a 7-1 decision, the rebels were free and were not forced to return to Sierra Leone. With the help of funding of Christian missionaries, rebels that chose to do so returned to their homeland. According to Stephen Mintz of the University of Houston, their brief narrative of the Amistad incident, United States versus Schooner Amistad, was the most decisive case involving, the slave, involving slavery in the 19th century before the Dred Scott decision. However, the occurrence of the Amistad Rebellion and the case itself was revolutionary for abolition. Quote, 
quote, the House of Representatives, House of Representatives had adopted the gag automatically tabling anti-slavery petitions. Desperately, abolitionists sought a way to dramatize the horrors of slavery. The Amistad case seemed to provide a providential opportunity to illustrate the federal government's simplicity of slavery and the discrepancy between slavery, American ideals, and natural rights. The whole ordeal, the whole ordeal began to play more and more northerners in favor of abolition and undermine the cause to preserve slavery in the American South. The case severely damaged President Martin Van Buren's reputation in the South as well. After the American Civil War ended in favor of the Union, the 13th and 14th Amendments to the Constitution were adopted. While these two revolutionary laws improved the lives of African Americans, they in no way put an end to all forms of racism. They, they, there would be a long, long never-ending road ahead for full equality in the United States. Brazil, Brazil, another major country that relied on slavery, would not abolish it until 1888. I hope that we have provided listeners with an extensive look at why the Amistad Rebellion, what the Amistad Rebellion entailed, who was involved, and why it was a pivotal moment in the history of the slavery. The Amistad Rebellion and the Zog Massacre were central points in the history of the transatlantic slave trade. To understand the importance of the Amistad Rebellion, it requires that people know the whole story of the slave trade and make the Amistad Rebellion even more important. To understand even more about slavery, come back next time to hear our discussion about another central aspect of the Atlantic slave trade, cannibals, witchcraft, and more. I am Pinstock. I am Pinstock. I'm Josh Palacco. I'm Brandon Betts signing off.